Um, let's begin with prayer. Father, thank you for the time we have to look in your word together, meet with us, be our teacher, encourage us, we ask, uh, for Christ's sake and for his glory. Amen. All righty. Uh, connection announcements. I've, I've got one, and that is we will have, uh, we won't have lunch in March. We will have, our next lunch will be in the fourth Sunday in April. March 24th is the spring doohickey out here to lunch, Easter egg hunt, March 24th. Um, and then the 31st is Easter, so we won't have lunch again until whatever, the 20, 25th, I think, of April. All right, Diane has something. You got to talk real loud. All right, uh, let me repeat that since both of y'all were whispering. <laughs> March 18, Monday afternoon, learn how to decoupage. I don't even know what that is, but learn how to do it here at the church, 1.30 to 3.30. It'll, it'll be in an email or something as it gets closer. Anything else? All right. You got your Bible open to Ruth? We're going to read the rest of chapter 1 this morning. I'm trying to, I'm trying to uh, time this out so that we wind up at the end of May. So let me quickly review our theme. Ruth is a book about a lot of things. You could make it a, a Bible study about any number of things. Uh, but <clears throat> the way we're looking at it is this. It's about our call to love one another, even when, and especially when, it's hard to do, which is most all the time, right? Not because it's nice, not because it's sweet, but because that's one of the main ways, if not the main way, that we witness to the world that Christianity is true. You hear that? It's one of the main ways we witness to those who watch that Christianity is true. And that comes straight from Jesus, who said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just uh, that you love one another. As I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, and here it is, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples, that you really are Christians, that there is such a thing as a Christian, if you have love for one another. And then the bar is raised way higher when we remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 46. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Yes. 
And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not the Gentiles do the same, people who don't know God? And then at the end of verse five of chapter 5 of Matthew, Jesus says this, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now if you connect that with that, what he's just said about love, there's a sense in which he's saying we are most like God. We are closest to perfect. We're most God-like when we love one another in this way, right? So we're reading Ruth as a story of that kind of love. And in the Old Testament, it's called Hesed. Now, I, I didn't have much to draw up here today, so I thought I'd really impress you by drawing the Hebrew word for Hesed. So now you know what it looks like. You've learned one word in Hebrew. It's the only word you'll ever need to know. <coughs> That's what it looks like. Now, you notice I said draw, not write. I didn't write it. I drew it. Hesed, what, is the, what does that word mean? Uh, love is actually not a good translation, uh, especially when you think of what love means in our culture today. What does hesed mean? What kind of love? It's commitment, loyalty, covenant loyalty, steadfast. Do you might know where the word steadfast comes from? It comes from steed, which is a horse, fast. If you stay fast on your steed, you're not going to come off of it. So steadfast, which you stick to it. So hesed love is love that is committed and sticks loyalty, loyally to the one who's loved. Now, uh, Paul Miller gives this, and I can't remember if I mentioned this or not. Here's his definition of it. It's love without an exit strategy. Now think about that, because the more you think about that, it can make you a little uncomfortable. Right, Glenn? Love without an exit strategy. I can see a few furrowed brows. Love without an exit strategy which of course is the polar opposite of the spirit of the age that we live in, which is what? Feelings are sacred. Feelings are sacred. You follow your heart. You do whatever you need to do to make you happy. That's what you do. You be true to yourself. You act on your feelings. All right. Now last week we lingered on Ruth's stunning declaration of commitment. Do you remember it? Look at it again. It's in verses uh, 16 where she says, uh, Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. So she says that. Not to a husband. Not to the love of her life. Not to her soulmate. Whatever that is. Not to her Disney Prince Charming. But to her bitter, depressed mother-in-law. That's who she said that to. And we saw that as a, a great illustration of Hesed. Which is not, I feel like it. So if... 
If Ruth, let's go ahead and say this, if she were to follow her heart and follow her feelings, I don't think she would be doing this, what she's doing right now. So let's, let me read the rest of chapter 1, starting at verse 19. <clears throat> so the two of them, verse 19, went on until they came to Bethlehem. So from Moab, you go north a ways, then you cross the Jordan River, river go back down south to Bethlehem. It's a, I don't know, it's a good 80, 100-mile walk. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, hey, y'all, it is me. I'm so glad to see all of you. She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. What an interesting little detail to throw in there. All right. So here they come walking into town. They haven't seen Ruth, uh, Naomi in 10 years. Why might they say, is that, is that Naomi? Well, maybe, maybe those 10 years have aged her 30 years. She's lost a husband and her two children in uh, just a short time. And then hearing her name, and her name means pleasant or lovely. Hearing her name cuts her like a knife, and out comes this spontaneous lament. Not, hey, y'all, it is me. It's Naomi. I'm back. It's great to see everybody. But this comes pouring out of her. It's blunt. It's, it's almost like she's snapping at them, Right? It's, it's rude. She's, she pours this out in front of friends she hasn't seen in a decade. And she basically says, God did this to me. All right, now here's where we've got to learn from this. How would you respond if you saw a friend for the first time in 10 years and that's the first thing out of her mouth? What do you do? How do you respond? This is another lament, or can we call it a lament? Maybe we shouldn't call it. We'll talk about that in a second. But remember what she said up in verse 13? Remember this? She says, uh, It is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake, for the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And we talked last week about whether that was, was that true? Was, should she have said that? Is that, was she saying something true, uh, not true about God. So now look at this lament here, these two verses. Uh, what, do we, what do we make of it? <clears throat> Let me say it like this. How do we respond to people who are broken up by life like this? How do we respond to them? We don't very well. Now listen, listen. We're... 
we're touching on something that our church claims to be, right? A refuge for broken people. Well, here comes one, and she's broken into a thousand pieces. So there you are. You're out there by the gate. Here she comes. She says this. What do you do? What do you say? How do we, how do we tend to, to react to... to um, Terrible grief when we get around it. Maybe uh, one thing maybe that we do is to, we just kind of, we're a little embarrassed. I don't know what to say, so just kind of withdraw. Now listen, some of you have been there. Some of you have been in the grieving spot and you remember how people reacted. Right? What do you say to Naomi? You're one of the women of Bethlehem, and you've just heard Naomi let out this lament. And it's hard to imagine she wasn't crying and weeping when she said this. Right? Assuming you can't pull back and duck into the shadows, which is what a lot of, a lot of us might have done. Um... Okay. He said that those ladies, Doc is surmising here, those ladies, they know that uh, Naomi and her husband shouldn't have left when they did 10 years ago. It was a, a, God brought a famine. It was a time for repentance. God responded to the repentance. The famine is over. They, they never should have left. Now, the... Remember, the text does not say that. We're, that's just an educated guess, right? The other thing that he said was bad things happen to bad people. And yeah, I thought that a lot of that sentimentality was wicked, God's judgment. I think y'all are being really rough on this. That uh, what's happened to her was God's discipline. All right, maybe so, but even if that's true, so should these ladies have taken her aside and said, listen, I know why this happened to you, and, uh, and there's going to be some men in the future, and, and there's going to be a whole book written about them, and they're called Job's Friends, and we're going to be the precursor to Job's Friends and tell you this is why this happened to you. No, what's the first thing, if, even if that's true, what do we do? I don't know. <laughs> That's what I'm fishing for. So she is. God has blown up her life in discipline. What do we do when she comes into town? We listen. We hug her neck. We give her a drink of water. Well, they didn't do that. Okay, now, so let's look at what she said. Look at what she said. It's in, it's in verses uh, 20 and 21. 20 and 21 is, look at what she says there. She says, don't call me 
Naomi, call me Mara. The Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, and he's brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? The Lord has testified against me. That's a court words idea. He's testified against me in court. So there's nothing I can do about it. And he's brought calamity upon me. Is that right? Is that true? Is that true about God? Does she sound like Job? What do you do with that? What do you do with that lament? Is it actually a lament? Do you remember we talked about the difference between a biblical lament last time and just complaining? What's the difference? Using the Psalms as an example. A lament is, a, is actually praying. You're complaining, but you're complaining to God. So you still have hope in Him. So you're talking to Him. That's what the Psalms are about. <clears throat> but just complaining, that's what the Israelites did when they came out of Egypt. They just mumbled and complained to each other. And the result of that was God let that whole generation die out and not go into the land. So, is this a lament? Is, is, is Naomi wrong to say this? Is it good for her to say this? Is it good? Is it good? Let me throw this out. This is a little add-on about prayer. Um, if we want to truly engage with the true God, we need to be ourselves. We need to be who we are. So, we need to... So, in that sense, does she need to say, this is how she feels? I'm going to say it. Well, the... Prayer is the real you engaging with the real God, right? So if she just said, if she fakes it and says, I'm great. It's so great to see y'all. I'm, I'm just... So maybe she, I'm just throwing out, trying to get you to think about. Um, I remember something Guy Richardson said two weeks ago when he did our little conference back here. I think it was two weeks ago. The one thing he said that I remember better than anything he said he said, empathize before you advise. Empathize before you advise. Do you remember, do you remember the difference between sympathy and empathy? Sympathy is how I feel. I feel bad for you. I sympathize. But empathy is trying your best to get inside what the suffering person is going through. A better word for that might be incarnation. Now, I'm sorry, our former president kind of ruined this when he, one time he famously said, I feel your pain. President Clinton said that, and it got made fun of. I don't know why, but that's kind of what empathy is. So, but I couldn't relate truly to Naomi here. She's lost her spouse and both her children in the space of a few years. What could I do? Now, this has everything to do with how we love one another well in the church. This is a great lesson about that, right? Here she comes. What do we do with her, right? Listen to this. Listening to a lament is a powerful way of loving someone who is suffering. Listen, weep with those who weep, like you said. 
by being present, by not correcting or even offering our own unique brand of Christian encouragement, such as, bless your heart, no, what would it? Romans 8, 28. Don't you remember we learned that together in Sunday school? God is in control. It'll all work out for the best. It's God's plan. True things, but damaging things if you say them at the wrong time. We all know that, right? Randy says it all the time. By being present, by not correcting or even offering our own unique brand of Christian encouragement... We give those who are grieving space to be themselves. Those, you have, those of you who have been in deep grief, which is right and fine when it's called for, you need space to be yourself. Is that right? Now listen, that doesn't mean that Naomi's judgment of God is correct. By listening and being present, you're not, a, you're not, you're not saying, well, Naomi, you're right. You're right about God. God is good and just. He will answer her frustration with more goodness. Now see, here's where we have to pretend we don't know the rest of the story. We know what's coming. To quote Psalm 23, even now God is preparing a table for Naomi like she's not going to believe. Listen to this. Naomi was interpreting God through the lens of her experience. How many of us have ever done that? Every, we don't have to raise your hand. Everybody's done that. We may be doing that now. She is interpreting God through the lens of her experience. Listen to this. She stopped in the middle of the story and measured God. Think about that. How many of us have done that? All of us. She stopped in the middle of the story and measured God. A deeper faith waits until the end of the story and interprets experience through the lens of God's faithfulness. Is this something we tell Naomi? No. You don't, we don't take her side and tell her that. Naomi, you're, you're interpreting God wrong right now. No, it's what we tell ourselves. Good theology lets us endure quietly with someone else's pain when all the pieces aren't together. All right. So that's the first big lesson here. Love listens to laments. Listens, right? Okay. Meanwhile, here's the next thing I want you to see. Meanwhile, where's Ruth? Where is she? She's standing right there. And isn't it ironic? Look at what Naomi says. I went out full... The Lord brought me back empty. And Ruth is standing right next to her. So it, the text doesn't say this, but it implies Naomi is ignoring Ruth. Now all the townspeople see her for sure. Who is that young girl with Naomi? But it's like Naomi's forgotten all about her. Why? Why has she forgotten all about her? And if we've been in through periods of intense grief, you know the answer. Why has why she forgotten all about Ruth? She, she's, she can't, this is what grief does to us. 
It makes it hard to break out and see anything around us. And here's where we have to ask if Naomi's grief slash lament has actually crossed the line into bitterness. Grief is grief. It's good. But grief nursed for a long time can turn into bitterness. Right? Um, Is Naomi bitter here? You think so? She's not talking to God. She's accusing God in the hearing of all these other people. Ruth, that's exactly right. Ruth has lost her husband. She was barren. There's no children, no grandchildren. Notice, look at the last, look at the last verse of the chapter, 22. You see Moab is mentioned twice there in that chapter. And that, that emphasizes the fact that Ruth is a stranger in a strange land. She is a foreigner with a capital F and a young woman too. She is vulnerable and she's grieving. Bitterness makes you cynical. Cynical is closely related to pessimistic, which means all the glasses are half empty. You're blind to the signs of blessing that might be popping up around you. So at this point in the narrative, Naomi, in her grief that's drifting into bitterness, she seems to be ignoring the blessing that God has given her. It's that person standing right next to her or maybe walking a little bit behind with her head down. There she is. So I want to suggest that Ruth right there is a stunning picture of Hesed. There it is. There's as great a picture as you're going to find. She's sticking right by Naomi, even though Naomi seems to be ignoring her. And if you, go, if you go back up to verse 18, go back to, up to verse 18, and when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Now that would have been a good time to say thank you. Maybe she did. Maybe she didn't. So let me add something to our definition of hesed. And this will ring true and you'll, you'll say, oh, I'm, I'm starting to see more now what you're talking about. Hesed, love, that is not dependent on the other person being properly grateful or behaving like you want them to. Now instantly you can apply that to raising children. Not grateful. They don't do what you want them to do all the time. But remember the very first Sunday I said, I want you to think of some people in your life that you you have to you're committed to. You have to stay with them. You have to love them. Might be a friend, might be a family, might be in your house, might be extended family, somebody you work with. Hesed is that commitment to love them and be kind to them. So <clears throat> I think we can call this Ruth's hidden glory. She walks into Bethlehem ignored and basically alone. She's by herself. Let's say she's 26. She's a widow, no male in her life, no male protector, nothing. And she's 
sticking to this old lady who's ignoring her. She loves the lady she's with, Naomi, but at this point it's hidden. Now think about this. Nobody sees and nobody cares. Nobody knows. Nobody's cheering her on. Nobody's saying, Ruth, you're a great example of Hesed. There's going to be a book written about you and it's going to be in the Bible in, in, in 3,000 years and we're all going to love you. There's nothing like that. She's just walking into town with this old lady, and, but she's, she's sticking with her commitment. Right? She's loving her difficult mother-in-law. She's not acting on her feelings. I suggested that if she's acting on her feelings, she's not here. She's back in Moab fishing for a husband right now. And we asked this question before. Why and how could she do this? And the only answer is she is a thoroughly converted woman. She is a follower and a lover of Yahweh. There's no other reason. Let me suggest this. This kind of love, this kind of hidden love that you do and nobody knows it, and you, this kind of love shreds the ego. Think about that. You love and you're kind to somebody and you take care of them, whatever the case might be. You get no thanks. You get no attaboys. You get no pats on the back. Nobody even knows you're doing it shreds the ego, which is okay. All right, one more thing I want you to think about. <clears throat> and for this, we shift back to, back to Naomi. We've been hard on her. So let me suggest a, a positive to see here with Naomi at the end of the chapter. Even though at this point she's bitter, she's broken, she's disappointed in God, is she walking in obedience by returning to Israel? It's a question. Maybe even walking in repentance as she comes back, back home. Now here's why I ask that. The Hebrew word for return, you see, Return, it's used 12 times in chapter 1. The Hebrew word that's used there for return is also one of the Hebrew words for repent. 12 times in chapter 1. That's not just me. Uh, Bible scholars and commentators have noticed this. And you see the word twice in the last verse. So Naomi returned with her daughter-in-law. Who returned? They returned. They're returning. It's one of the words for repent. So it at least suggests that there's a kind of repentance going on here on Naomi's part. Now, repentance for what? What does she need to repent of? Well, we talked about this before. Of, if, if this is what happened, of failing to trust God in the famine, leaving the promised land, to go live among the idol-worshiping Moabites who are traditional enemies of Israel. And once, even when they were there, she, her sons marry pagan, unbelieving women, women, which was against the law. Now, the text never says that's what they did. We just, that's just an educated guess that that's what happened. 
And again, if that is the case, we said this before, if that is what's happened, and now in repentance she's coming back, if that is the case, it makes the story all the more compelling and stunning as a story of providence and grace, right? It would be another, another beautiful example of how God uses even our sin and even our bad mistakes. Randy calls them foul balls. He uses even those things to accomplish exactly what he was planning all along. In this case, it was for Ruth to hear the gospel, you know, such as the gospel was when there was only the first five books. For Jesus to have a Moabite woman in his lineage, and for David to have a Moabite great-grandmother. None of that happens unless Elimelech and Naomi sin by leaving the promised land when they shouldn't have. Anyway, here comes Naomi, returning, repenting, walking into Bethlehem. So if Ruth is the picture of Hesed right here, Naomi is a stunning picture of faith. Just think about that. We could even say a stunning picture of Hesed toward God, loyalty, commitment, when I got, no, I got nothing, I got no evidence. I don't see anything. This is just walking by faith. Loyalty no matter what. Endurance, which is another part of the definition of that word. Endurance, love that endures. It doesn't quit. Love without an exit strategy. Listen to this. This is a fascinating uh, description of Repentance, Paul Miller gives. Listen to this. Repentance involves a returning to the box, to the world of limits that my Father has given me. Now just think about that. I stop creating my own story and submit to the story that God is weaving. Let me read that again. Repentance involves a returning to the box, to the world of limits that my Father has given me. Now think of, let's just think of marriage as an example. All right, God has put me in a box. He's put these limits on me, this marriage, this covenant. I've got to stay in it. So one day I decide, well, I don't feel happy anymore, so I'm going to leave and I'm going to go find me something else. Make up my own story. I don't like the story God gave me, so I'm going to, I'm going to make a better one myself. Repentance. I stop creating my own story and submit to the story that God is weaving. Do you see how if this is repentance on Naomi's part, that's what she's doing. Okay, I'm an Israelite. I follow Yahweh. I have to go back to where I'm supposed to be. I tried to make up my own story by going to Moab, and, and uh, if Doc is right here, God blew it up. He blew it to pieces. So I'm going to go back. I'm trying to point out that this is just a, a remarkable picture of faith. Because she's got nothing. She has nothing. Nothing to go back to. Yes, ma'am. Yes, it is. 
Oh, yeah. She knows the whole story because she's told it to Ruth. And Ruth is a better believer than she is now. She does have that. But like we said, when, you're, when your whole world is your grief, I don't, you don't see anything. God? Oh, who's God? Well, she's already said what she thinks. God did this to me. Okay, we're almost out of time. Let me finish with one last thing. There is a, uh, there is a quote out of the screw tape letters. Now, let me set that up right quick. Screw tape letters, a brilliant, brilliant story that C.S. Lewis wrote where he's a senior devil giving, teaching a junior devil how to tempt a Christian. That's the whole premise. It's It's brilliant. If you've never read it, you need to read it. So there's one place, and this applies exactly to Naomi right here, where uh, Screwtape says to the junior devil, his, his nephew, his name is Wormwood, he says this, Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause, which means the devil's cause, you've got to think backwards, right? Our cause is never more in danger than when a human no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will. You hear it, see Ruth there? No longer desiring but intending, I'm just going to put one foot in front of the other and do the next thing. That's all Ruth is doing here. I mean, Naomi. Looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished. That's Ruth in her grief. Where's God? He's abandoned me. Naomi, Naomi, and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. Let me read that all together. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, God's will, looks around upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks, why he's been forsaken and still obeys. And that's Ruth right here. Naomi. <laughs> this book should have been named Naomi. Okay. Note the last sentence of the last, the last sentence of the chapter. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Why is that there? Because, uh, again, to quote the 23rd Psalm, God has prepared a table for Naomi. I got it right that time. It's the beginning of barley harvest. Well, they're going to be able to work and glean. And that's where we'll pick up the story next time. Oh, there's a great hymn, God Moves in Mysterious Way. I've been badgering Philip to work it into our rotation. So I told him I was going to get y'all to do it too. To say, Philip, we need to start singing God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Uh, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast. 
Unfolding every hour, the bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. So this story is, a, is a, illustrating that hymn. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for these two great pictures here. One of a person who is loving another person. Though she doesn't feel like it, it's hard. Uh, and that's how you love us. And the other of a person walking by faith. Because even if it's just a tiny little ember, she knew that you were there and that you still cared for her. Encourage us this very day by these things. In Christ's name, amen.